Have you guys ever been to the uh, Disney store? <laughs> the Disney store, like at the mall or by Disneyland? So I don't know if you have been there any time recently. I don't know why you would have unless you're really a, some kind of Disney fanatic. I didn't used to go there ever, but, you know, now that we have kids, it's like whenever we go to the mall, uh, they want to go to the Disney store. And I find this store very interesting because there's like a huge sign usually that you can see from far away, the, that kind of iconic Disney logo. And when you get there, it's... It's kind of confusing. <laughs> it's a little bit confusing as to what it is because obviously there are toys. There are like dolls, you know, and then there's toys, like kind of action figure toys. And then there's kind of cars and then there's clothes. So they also sell clothes. And then there's costumes. There's Disney costumes. But there's also like if you go, there's like this castle kind of thing, which is like a little playground type item that kids run in and out of, and then there are posters for, like, upcoming things like movies or TV shows sometimes that they'll give away, and there's music. There's Disney music usually playing on the loudspeaker, but also within the store, there's another little section. It's like a gazebo kind of thing, and if you go in there, then there's another thing happening in there. Like, there's a TV, and then kids can sit there, and they can get, they can watch TV, there's little tables and chairs where they can go and they can watch. And there's a tablet with like a playlist of things. It's a mix of like commercials and video clips and sing-along songs, you know, to Disney movies. So there's another speaker coming out of there. And then there's a competing speaker that's happening in the rest of the store that's playing music. And also they can get coloring things like Disney coloring things and they can just color there for free. And it's just like, I, whenever I go there, I'm like, man, there's, there's like too much stuff happening in this store. Like, what is this store? Is it a store? Is it an ad? You know, like, like what, is it a playground? Like, what is it? There's so much stuff going on here. It's weird. And they're even competing for it. Like, the main music from the store is competing with what's happening in the little section with, with the movie. And so whenever we go there, you know, Micah... He'll, he'll go there, and he'll look around, and he'll, he, like, won't know what to do. He'll go there, and he'll, like, grab these toys. He's like, oh, yeah, of course. Oh, like this, you know. He's like, oh, let me get this shirt. And then he sees the TV, and then he goes over to the TV. He starts, like, pushing, trying to add things. And he's, like, going over there. He's, like, just running around. He sees this, the castle, by the way. It's like a pink princess castle. But Micah loves it. He's, like, running in and out of there. He's, like, grabbing princess stuff, you know. And he's like, oh, I want this. It's just, it's confusing. And... I love it. I mean, I hate it, but I, I love it because to me, it, it makes it, I think it epitomizes like our culture, you know, what we're, what we have become used to. And I used to call it, um, like we love multitasking, right? I mean, when's the last time you were on your computer and you just had one window open, like just the thing that you're working, that never happens anymore. Right, you got, I mean, you got three monitors, <laughs> you got like four things up on each thing, right? There's just a ton of stuff, ha and then you got music playing, and then there's like a video up, and then there's ads over here, and there's clickbait over here, and there's the actual thing you're working on in a tiny, you know, window in the corner, right? Because you're doing so many things at once. You know, I call it pseudo-multitasking, right? It's like the illusion that we're doing many things at once, but really we're not doing much of anything. We're not being very productive. 
And that's our world. That's kind of our lives. There's so much noise. Literally, there's a lot of noise. Anywhere you go, there's music playing. Everywhere you go, there's TVs. There are things happening. And just even figuratively, there's just so much noise like in our brains. There's so much white noise. There's so much static that's kind of happening all the time. What does that do to us? And is it good for us? You know, we have started, for those of you who are just joining us today, we've started a series uh, going over kind of the season of Lent that we're going to be in through the season of Lent, which is 40 days before uh, Easter minus Sundays. And this typically is a season, as we talked about last week, where many people, they engage in fasting. It is, it is something to do in preparation, to prepare our hearts for the resurrection of Christ. It's a time where we can spend in meditation. It's a time where we can spend in confession. It's a time where we can spend separating, intentionally separating ourselves for a time from certain things so that our hearts can deepen in, in God. And today what we're going to talk about is stillness. Stillness before God. Again, fasting is not like a regular thing. It's not supposed to be. What it's supposed to be is actually an interruption of your regular rhythm. Obviously, eating food is good and something we need to do. So what we're doing when we fast is to interrupt that normal rhythm to kind of regain something greater that's at the heart of it, you know, the notion of God. And stillness, what we'll be talking about today, is something similar it's not something that we're, like, eat silent, the idea of silence, the idea of kind of uh, quiet or even waiting. If you read the Bible, um, heaven actually seems like a pretty noisy place. It seems like there's a lot of praise going on a lot of the time. So sound and, you know, melodic noises, like, those things are good in general. But I think there is something very valuable about engaging in a stillness, a silence that interrupts that normal rhythm as a break from our normal lives. And we'll be ta- what we'll be talking about today is why that is the case. You know, why is stillness as a discipline or as a periodic thing that we engage in important for our lives? And so that's what we'll be looking at today. So if you guys have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up to um, Psalm Uh Psalm 46. Psalm 46. And we will be reading through this psalm together today. And we'll read through it. We'll talk a little bit about it. And then we'll, um, we'll, we'll try to get some takeaways from it. So this is Psalm 46, verse 1. And we'll just read through the whole thing together. This is God's word. And it says, God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. 
The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. So this psalm is divided into three parts, you know, three sections by the word selah, which is a word that denotes like a break or a breath in the reading. Um, and it really what it's, you know, just to quickly kind of outline it, it's, it's about the presence of God, the presence of God in nature, right? So he kind of talks about natural disasters, right? Uh, the earth gives way, mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, the waters roar, though the mountains tremble, Right. Uh, secondly, he talks about the presence of God in the nations. And he talks about this river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation. God's in the midst of her. Uh, verse 6, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. So talking about kind of the presence of God and really the supremacy and the power of God, despite the fact that things are happening in the world. Right. So even though there are natural disasters in the world, God is greater, right? Even though nations rage and things are happening kind of politically, geopolitically, God is greater. And then, you know, here in the end, it talks about the presence of God in the whole earth, right? The works, behold, the works of the Lord. He's brought desolations on the earth and really has power over all things that are happening, right? How he is greater than uh, he makes war cease. He breaks the bow, shatters the spear. He burns the chariots. Those are all kind of war, instruments of war, and God can break those things. And then there's this exhortation, right, here at the end, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Why is that stillness before God important? Okay, I'll, we'll go over three things today. First, firstly, stillness gives us opportunity to remember the greatness of God. Stillness gives us opportunity to remember the greatness of God. One of the reasons that we do not recognize God's greatness is that there's so much going on in our lives. If I were even to ask you, if I were to say, what's the point of your life? What's the purpose of your life? Right? If you're a believer, if you believe in God, if you believe that God exists, if you believe that he is great, if you believe that he is good, if you believe that he's loving, if you believe in Jesus, if you believe, you know, in the gospel, that he came, that he died, that he resurrected, if you believe these things, then somewhere at the core of your answer for what is the point of your life will be something about God's glory Right about God's love, I want to let people know about the glory of God. I myself want to deepen it. I want to know it. I want to share it with other people. I want to share the love of God. I want to kind of emulate the compassion of God. Like those are things that are really important. That has that's at the core of my life. All the other things should come out of that. Right, the way that I 
parent and the way that I husband and the way that I work and the way that I minister and the way that I drive and talk and play, you know, whatever I do, it should, it should come out of that and that should be a part of it. Like that should be really important. But oftentimes, and, and many of us probably would agree with that, that kind of statement. But oftentimes what we find ourselves doing, we talked about this a little bit last week, right? Important versus urgent. What we find ourselves doing is a lot of stuff that doesn't have much to do with that, right? Just, just day-to-day stuff, stuff that just gets us through the day. We pay attention to a lot of the noise, a lot of the kind of clutter of our lives that ends up just taking us over. And before you know it, day's over. And oftentimes at night, you know, when you, when you lie in bed, that's when you think about, hmm, you know, what should I, like, what should I do? What did I do today? And sometimes, particularly if you're a Christian, you think about, like, did I do anything for God today? You know, did I, did I get closer to him? Did I live for him? And sometimes you might think, ah, I didn't really do anything today, but tomorrow I'm going to. Right? I'm going I'm to get at it. I'm going to get at it tomorrow. You might pray a little prayer. You'd be like, all right, God, like, help me tomorrow. And what happens tomorrow Oftentimes, you, you get busy again, right? There's a lot of noise. There are a lot of things demanding our attention. Stillness helps us to remember such powerful truths about God that even though things are crazy in the world, God's the one in control of it all. Even though sometimes to me it seems like I don't really know what's going on or, or things seem like they're not going the way that they're supposed to be going. To kind of rest in the, the glory, the power of God. Now, I want you to, I want you to close your eyes for a minute and, and think about this. Okay, Close your eyes for a minute and think about this. Some of you guys were waiting for me to say something, right? Yeah, that was intentional. You can open your eyes. Because I just wanted you actually to just be waiting there. That was 30 seconds. That was 30 seconds of silence. How often in your life do you get that much silence? Like utter silence where no one is saying anything. You know, and I wanted you to be waiting for me to say something because it would give you something to think about where you wouldn't be cluttered with all these other things to think about. Because if I said, just sit there for 30 seconds and be quiet, you know what you'd be doing? Some of you would be doing this. One, (laughs) two, three. You'd be counting to 30 because you know 30 seconds is the end of this. Some of you would be thinking about all kinds of other things. What am I going to do after church? You know, I really wanted to go mini golf. You know, am I going to go bowling? Like, you know, you're going to be, all these other things are just going to pop up in your brain and you're just going to start thinking about it. Right? Oh, I'm hungry. I didn't realize I was hungry. But now this silence is like bringing that to my attention. There is such power in silence in stillness. You know why? Because it forces you to confront your inner thoughts. Something we hate doing, most of us. 
right? When, when, the, when the noise stops, literally and figuratively, fig- <laughs> what did I just say there? Don't try this at home. It's a tough, <laughs> it's a tongue-twisting word. Figuratively, when the, the noise of our brains, right, when those things, when those thoughts are quieted, that's when we're often confronted with what's underneath the surface. It's uncomfortable for a lot of people. It's uncomfortable for me. I don't like, I don't like that kind of stillness. That kind of sound. I like music. I'm playing music. I'm wearing headphones like most of my day, every day. I'm listening to music, just all kinds of different things. When I do like things, even when I'm like doing chores and stuff, I'm usually just wearing Bluetooth headphones and just listening to something like a podcast or a book or something. Like, and, and, and I know that for me, I don't like that, you know, it gets uncomfortable. This is why a lot of times, like, we're constantly doing things, right? Like, when you have a free one minute, instead of just waiting for one minute, what do you do? You pull out your phone, right? And you start looking at stuff. You go on social media, you play a game real quick, right? Like, if you just have one free minute, three free minutes, you're waiting for someone to come. Rather than think about your life, you have to anesthetize your brain, right? I want to be numb. I want something to distract me from my life, from, like, the actual course of my life. Because when you're quiet and you're forced to think, do you know what pops up to the surface? Everything you're afraid of. Everything you're anxious about, everything you're ashamed of, all your hurt, all your pain, things that are not the way that they're supposed to be. That's what pops up when you're quiet. And we hate that. That's why we watch. That's why we drink. That's why we eat. That's why we self-medicate. That's why we do these things because we don't want to deal with all of that. When we're alone and when we're quiet, our fears and vulnerabilities are exposed. But let me say this, okay? When you're quiet long enough, your thoughts turn to God. This is even true of non-believers. This is true of everyone. Because when your vulnerability is exposed, like when your mortality is exposed. When all of a sudden you realize I'm not invincible, everything's not perfect, not all the things are going the way that they're supposed to, you know, quote unquote, supposed to be going in my life. When you're confronted with your limitedness, you don't have all the answers. You don't know exactly what you're doing. You know, what, what, what we do is we turn to God. See, there's got to be something greater. There's got to be someone great. There's help out there. If you're a Christian, of course, you know that there is. There's help out there. There's power out there to be had, to be beheld. Stillness gives us opportunity to remember, to be confronted by the greatness of God. Here's the second thing. Stillness gives us opportunity to find rest in God. Right. First, it helps us to remember. Secondly, it gives us opportunity to find rest. You know, these, um, in this section here, when it says, though the mountains tremble, though its waters roar, 
The words for tremble and roar are the same ones used in verse 6 when it says the nations rage and the kingdoms totter. Right? And it's kind of uh, the point of using these same words, right, is to, is to demonstrate that wherever that is coming from, wherever that roaring and shaking is coming from, whether it's coming from nature or whether it's coming from nations, it doesn't matter. God is supreme over it. Wherever the pain, wherever the arrows, wherever the, the kind of the shots are coming from, God is our refuge. He's the one in which, you know, a refuge is something in which we find, you know, where you would find rest and asylum, where you have peace and security, where you are guarded, where you're protected. And God's saying, when, when, we, when we engage ourselves in this stillness, we, instead of trying to find refuge in ourselves, we look to God. We're able to find refuge in him. We're able to find peace in him. We're able to find rest in him. See, there's a difference between being busy and being productive. Right? And this is a noted kind of like secular difference even, right? There are books written about this kind of stuff. And, and busy people tend to be, th- this is actually from ki- kind of more of a secular notion, but busy people tend to be overthinkers and have an incredible ability to expand their tasks to the amount of time that they have available. Right? So, so if we find ourselves consumed with busyness, what we typically do is we have something to do, but we find a way that no matter how much time we have and no matter what we have to do, we find a way to make what we have to do fill up all of our time. And then we feel very busy. Busyness does not give us rest. You know, the fact that you have a lot to do or that you're doing a lot of things typically does not lead you to a heart that feels rested, right? In fact, there's a certain unrest that drives busyness because there's always this feeling that you're doing a lot but not accomplishing a lot. Like you have so much stuff to do, but somehow like what really matters is not progressing forward. Um, I read this I read this blog post uh, this past week. It was about this guy who uh, was writing a book and he wanted to do this experiment about digital decluttering. So during the month of, uh, this was last year, January 2018, what he did was he asked people around him if they wanted to participate in taking a break from optional technologies, most notably social media. So one month, they would take 31 days off from these things, and then at the end of the 31-day period, they would slowly reintegrate them, but only the things that they could justify having in their lives, right? So they would cut out all their social media, they would cut out kind of all their digital technologies for a month, you know, uh, at least, unless it was, like, absolutely necessary to their lives, to their work or something like that. So they would cut out all the kind of superfluous stuff, and then after a month of not using it at all, they would reintegrate it if they could find a, a legitimate reason. And so he thought, like, 40 or 50 people would participate in this, but it turns out he got 1,600 people, 1,600 people to participate in this. Uh, New York Times actually even wrote an article about it. And so these were some of the stories that he received because he asked them, he's like, okay, so after a month of kind of this digital detox, like what happened? And so these were some of the stories like that he shared. 
He said, an engineer named James realized how much of the information he used to consume through social media during the day was unimportant or useless. With this drain on his attention removed from his routine, he returned to his old hobby of playing chess and became an enthusiast of architectural Lego kits. Interesting. (laughs) Uh, Heather, a mother of three homeschooled kids, completed a draft of a book. While also reading many books and uh, written by others, she says she was recapturing her creative spirit. This is a one month, guys. <laughs> 31 days. Uh, a publishing executive gave up Facebook, and she said she had an epiphany. Um, she said this, I do want to connect socially, but for a bigger purpose and with a specific group of people and to share a valuable message. So she started her own blog on topics she finds important. And she said it has really changed, like, the way that she connects with people socially. And he, he came out with a couple of takeaways from this experiment. And here are two of the things that he said that I really, that kind of had an impact on me. He said, focusing on the most beneficial activities to the exclusion of less beneficial alternatives can leave you better off than trying to clutter your life with everything that might offer some value. Right? Focusing on the most beneficial things to the exclusion of less beneficial things can leave you better off than trying to clutter your life with a bunch of things that might carry something valuable. Now, this is often, this is basically what social media is, right? The reason we check it is because we think maybe there's something there that's valuable. And so you just scroll through tons of information right? You know, like you got, and you know, you got like, like 200 crazy friends, right? Like at least, like 20% of your friends are just like nuts. They just post crazy stuff all the time. And you're just like scrolling through it, right? You're just looking through all this stuff. And what you're hoping for is maybe you'll find one nugget there, something that's really funny, something that's really entertaining, something that's really interesting that might add some value to your life. But really, you're just cluttering up your life. It's like, it's like buying 100 articles of clothing, thinking that maybe, maybe one good outfit will pop up in this pile. And then he said this in his conclusion. When it comes to tools like Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, don't let the fear of missing out dictate how you live your life. The most productive and fulfilled people I know often got where they are by doubling down on the activities that return them huge benefits while happily ignoring everything else. And this is, like, so true, right, of even I can think of the people in my life that I know are the most happy. They're not the ones that do everything. They're the ones that know what's important to them, and they pursue it, and they don't care about all the other stuff. At its core, Busy means you have a lot to do, but the question is, does what you're doing truly matter to you? Is it important to you? Is it valuable to you? I love, I love when the world catches up with the Bible. Because do you know that what Christ wants for you is rest? 
right? This is Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He died and bore the burden of all your unrest, all of your anxiety and fear and shame and hurt that has been caused by sin so that you might have rest. See, I always find it funny when non-believers think that what Christianity wants to do is burden you. You know, what Christ wants to do is to burden you with having to do all these things, having to have all these morals. No, what, what we, I think what we fail to recognize is that we're already so burdened, right? We are constantly thinking about our security and what people think about us and what we've done. We are burdened by all of these regrets and pains and these things that have come upon us. And what Jesus wants to say, the reason that he went to the cross and died was so that you would not have to carry those burdens anymore. So that those things wouldn't be crushing, so you could have a security beyond security. You could have a peace that transcends all peace. That's better than the peace that comes from a stable job or a steady income or any relationship or any such thing that happens in the world. That in the ultimate way, we would not have to be consumed with worry and unrest and anxiety, knowing that no matter what happens, even unto death, Christ will stand with us. Stillness teaches us, excuse me, stillness affords us the opportunity to rest, to rest in Christ. Here's the final thing I would say. Stillness teaches us to wait on the steadfast love of God. Stillness teaches us to wait on the steadfast love of God. I want to show this Psalm 130. It says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. God loves you, right? Like God loves us. So, you know, steadfast, he has this enduring love for us. Even, and this is Old Testament, right? He has, the, this is what always, God has always been about. He's always been about this. This steadfast, enduring love. This forgiveness. This welcoming back of when we would come into his arms and when we would when we would just enjoy him, when we would delight ourselves in him. But you know, it's hard to hear it when there's so much going on. It's like we are kids in a crowded, pl- you know, Boomy and I, we took, uh, we took the kids to, uh, what is that thing called? Play pie. <laughs> play pie on, um, you know, it's like a little kid's indoor playground thing, right, at the source, our favorite place. Um, <laughs> 
you know, so, so we go there, and I forgot. It was a holiday. It was like, I think it was MLK or something. Oh, my gosh, it was so crowded. It was just crazy. Like, kids were running around all over the place. We were li- I was just, like, walking around like this. And I'm like, where's my kid? You know, like, looking around and something, like, yelling. And I feel like sometimes it's like, like, that's what's happening to us. Like, we're just in this crazy, chaotic environment in this world. And we just running around. We see something and we're running to it. And we're going to this and we're going to that. And we don't really know what we're doing And, you know, it's like I can always see, you know, typically it breaks down, right? Like I am with Micah and Boomy's with Josiah. That's usually how it is. And I can always see Micah. right? Like I see him. He's like, oh, there he is. And, you know, he'll get lost. Like he'll be running around over there. He's doing something. And I'm just like keeping an eye on him all the time. So I know where he is, you know. And once in a while, he'll like, you know, he'll look around. and He'll be like, oh, no, like where's my dad? You know, and he'll look around and he'll like search for me. But I see him. Right, if he really starts freaking, you know, I don't, I don't go to him just for that, you know. But if he really starts freaking out, he starts crying, or you know, I'll go over to him, I'll let him know, like oh, I'm just here, I'm watching you, I see you. Like, do you know that God sees you, that He hears you, that He loves you? I know you know. Especially if you're a believer, I know you know up here, but do you sense it? Do you feel it? Do you know his presence in your life? Because I want to assure you, it's there. He's there. But also, sometimes we need to declutter so that we can hear him, so we can sense him, so we can know him. Now, it is, so Lent is starting now, right, this Wednesday. I know last week I told you guys, Think, consider, you know, fasting in certain ways. And I'm actually going to go over real quick just the things that I shared last week in case you weren't here. Um, just kind of ideas for fasting through Lent. Once again, that's 40 days prior to Easter minus Sundays. And I'm just going to go over the things that I shared last week. One, don't fast on Sundays, right? Because Lent does not include Sundays and we're not supposed to fast on Sundays. And all that stuff, again, the same stuff I shared last week where don't be the guy who's like, oh, I'm so hungry today, but I can't eat because I'm fast. You know, whatever, right? It's supposed to be a mini. All the Sundays are supposed to be mini celebrations, mini Easter's. Don't fast Sundays. Here were the, the, the other suggestions that I made last week. Give seven minutes a day to God uh, throughout Lent. Two, uh, or another one, give God one meal a week. For example, Friday morning breakfast. Just kind of give that up. Spend that time with God. Um, give up something one day a week. For example, no social media on Saturdays. Uh, live off 250 one day a week. Pray for God's mercy on all who live that way because about half the world lives on 250 a day. Uh, three billion people, or over three billion people. Uh, give away 250 per day for 40 days. That adds up to $100. I heard that some of you are trying to loophole that <laughs> by giving money to each other. Please don't do that. <laughs> There is, no, there is no spiritual benefit, let me just tell you, to doing that. <laughs> um, it, I, know you, I know you guys were joking. Um, lastly, give up something every night between sundown and sunrise, a more traditional Jewish fast. Now, again, you don't do all the things, right? But if you want to try one of these things or, or maybe a couple of these things, I 
highly recommend that you do. Or it could be something else. You know, you could just give up something the entire 40 days. Um, probably not food, but not, not food completely. But if there's something else, some kind of food or... I remember Boomi gave up chocolate one year, but it was not pretty. It was, like, brutal. Um, and I gave up meat, and we were both very unhappy <laughs> for 40 days. But... Um, that was before we had kids. Um, so, th- you know, those are things you could think about doing. Um, I would say in addition, just based on what we're talking about today, spend some of that time or all of that time in stillness before God. Right? Like cut out noise. Get alone, completely alone. And just let... Let that silence lean on you, like press on you, so that you might be able to hear the voice of God. Because, and here's the thing, what happens is, and what we fear in that silence, like we've talked about, like there's a certain accusation in our stillness that we fear. Right? That's, that's why we run from it. And look, that's legitimate because Satan, the accuser, will use that. He wants us to fear the sense of being weak, the sense of being vulnerable, the sense of being unable. He wants us, in fact, to be so debilitated by that fear of loneliness and anxiety and regret that we will not want to step into that silence. And often, what I'll say is, because Satan's a master of half-truths, Right? There is a sense of accusation that we will experience in our stillness. It is real. It will come. But the reason that Satan doesn't want us to go there is because there is something that proceeds that. Right? There is also a vindication in stillness that we need. So there is an accusation in, in stillness that we fear, but there is also a vindication in stillness that we need, an exoneration from the one who himself was silent on the cross, who did not defend himself, though he was innocent, and did not justify himself, though he was right, but was silent before his accusers. It is that act of grace in silence that speaks up for us when we are Accused. It is that sacrificial love that reaches us when we are still, when we're face to face with sin. We are drawn to the face of our Savior, and He lifts us up, and He comforts us, and He makes us strong and secure in Him and Him alone. Let's pray together. Father, Thank you so much for your steadfast love, for your grace, for your glory, for your power, for the fact that we can rest our hearts completely in you. I know, God, the world is chaotic at times. We have competing thoughts, competing voices in our lives. Things are happening um, seemingly there are these kind of constant distractions that that take away from you. And we pray, God, would you just center us, center us on the cross. 
we're actually going to at this time we're going to step into a um, we're going to enter into a time of communion uh, this is, of course is a practice that we partake in uh, that we partake of as Christians as a reminder of the, the body of Jesus that was broken for us the blood of Jesus that was shed for us so that we might have forgiveness of sins so that we might have life new life covenant that he has established for us um, you know for all of us who are believers I really encourage us to step into this time and really even ask the Holy Spirit um, to lead us into his grace um, if you're not a believer I would just ask you to kind of refrain from this maybe consider think about God and, and where you stand before him what he has before you but I'm going to read this from Corinthians. I'm going to pray one more time, and then I'm going to open up this time to go and uh, go to the back and take a piece of the bread and, and the cup. This is from uh, Corinthians 11. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray together one more time. Jesus, we thank you so much for the cross. Thank you for your body that was broken for us. Thank you for your blood that was shed for us. Thank you for the incredible love and mercy and grace that was demonstrated on that cross for us. We pray that as we step into this time, you might strengthen our faith and deepen our commitment in you. And would you bless this bread as we eat of it and would you bless the fruit of the vine as we take it and we want to proclaim your death, your resurrection until you return again. We entrust this to you. We thank you. In Jesus' name.